Ladies and gentlemen, brothers and sisters, and people of all ages, welcome back to the Sticky Floors Podcast. I am one of your hosts, CJ. I am joined by Mr. Will. This is the first uh, show that we are doing in 2024. So we made it, <laughs> you know, despite, <laughs> despite everything going on, we made it. You know what I mean? It's like 2024, man. It reminds me of... Um, that line in uh was it coming to America too when the dude is like we're all gonna die we just don't know how <laughs> like that's like 2024 <laughs> who knows who knows how it's gonna go man but we're here and tonight we are talking about the movie Serendipity uh with John Cusack and Kate Beckinsale and uh Will why don't you give a quick uh summary of the movie I'm sorry Mr. Will why don't you give a quick summary of the movie <laughs> before we start breaking this one down Yes, sir. Thanks for the introduction, CJ, and uh, welcome, everyone. Uh, oftentimes, it feels as if we're bouncing like ping pong balls throughout the cosmos. No rhyme, no reason. Other times, we're given the impression that there's a divine hand subtly guiding our lives. Serendipity, a 2011 romantic comedy in which Jonathan and Sarah have an existential debate played out on screen, is about human existence being governed by destiny. Um, as the characters Jonathan and Sarah, we have uh, Mr. John Cusack and Miss Kate Beckinsale, as uh, CJ once, uh, or excuse me, earlier discussed. Um, this is a, a, a definitely a pleasure to review today. Um, CJ, why don't you uh, get us uh, get this ball rolling for us? Yeah. So first, like. Um... I remember when this came out and I, I saw this, I think, you know, like sometimes I think when you see a movie leave, leave such an impression on like how you look at it. Right. Mm -hmm. And, mm -hmm. um, you know, we've talked about different times that we saw certain movies when this movie came out, I remember this was like 2001 and I had seen it. I got it on DVD. I don't even know how I came across it. Maybe I was just reading something on the back of, uh, I guess blockbusters were still around then, but I saw it yeah. and at the time I was in a relationship and I wanted that relationship to really work out and it really wasn't working out. And I remember thinking, mm. uh, like, gosh, I, I just, this, I, you know, maybe this thing will work out and it didn't, but I was thinking, <laughs> but I watched the movie and I really loved the idea of everything working out between two people. And then it was, it was funny. Cause I show, I, I liked it so much. That I remember I had my parents watch it with me. Right. And at the, cause at the wow. time I was, I was living at home still and they watched it and they loved it too. Right. And then they ended up getting divorced. So then maybe this joint really just doesn't work out well, <laughs> well for anybody because nothing seemed to work out right after we watched this movie, man. But mm. this is uh this is like a movie that I really, um I really have enjoyed. I enjoyed it a lot more than I thought I would watching it again. And it's interesting because when we talked about the last one we talked about, which was new year's Eve, we talked about, or I talked about how it referenced like the movie Serendipity and the idea of like right. people coming back together after a significant period of time is kind of like what this movie is about. Um, there's so many things about this that, you know, just kind of work just in sort of the culture of like New York and time at, like, and, and that time in New York, um, you know, just like movies like uh, New, Year's Eve, New, Year, New Year's Eve or when Harry met Sally, like New York is also like a character, like the streets, the cars, the little restaurants that are open until two and three o'clock in the morning that you kind of only get in the city. 
like those are just there and that really that really sticks out um i know that you're going to talk a little bit more about the characters and actors um but i'll just say like i really dig john cusack in this movie um mm. i thought that the way that he when he first meets sarah like my, in my notes i wrote like he came off the bench like like vinnie johnson in the in for the, for the detroit pistons <laughs> for the bad boy detroit pistons remember when they called they used to call vinnie johnson the microwave because he would come microwave. off the bench yep he would come off the bench and just start gunning right like john cusack yeah. goes from like I'm trying to buy gloves for my girlfriend too. I want you to be my girlfriend in like 15 minutes. And he, <laughs> he's like, he's throwing flamethrower game from that point. That yeah, point. it was hot fire. Right. Yeah. From that point, he's spitting wild game from the beginning, right? And you know, that that's just I just think he's really, he's really good in this. And it's and um, you know, we talked about this in the pre-production. There's another movie that he was in that also is kind of in this romantic comedy realm called High Fidelity. And High Fidelity mm. is the one where he runs the record shop and it kind of goes through yeah. his, you know, previous relationships. And they actually try to turn it into a, um, a Hulu show. Um, so they, they did, made it a Hulu show. And I think they had, um, what's her name? Um, that is uh, Lenny Kravitz's daughter, Zoe Kravitz. I think Zoe Kravitz is the person mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. that like is in that role and kind of going through her relationships. So, you know, that, that's kind of ironic. Right. Because uh, her mom was the love interest or one excuse me one of the love interests so it's funny how think the table absolutely uh, so just, absolutely yeah i'm pretty sure that they thought about they thought about that when they made that mm -hmm. when they made that connection oh yeah oh yeah um so i'll just say like just real quick on the just a couple quick people kate beckinsale is in this um i, I really just like her in this movie i just think she's like as a person and as an actress i think she's just really good I got some questions about some of the stuff that happens to her character in this movie, which we'll get to later, but I really dig her. Mm -hmm. And I really dig Jeremy Piven as well. This is like, I think this is like the, the predecessor to what he does in Entourage um, a couple years later, you know, as Ari Gold. And uh, as far as that part goes, I'm going to stop there. I know you got a couple things that uh, you want to talk about too. I will uh, just piggyback off of uh, some of the characters you've already introduced. Uh, we'll work in reverse with Jeremy Piven. I think he's at his best when he is the um, over-the-top, zany, uh, uh, extreme extrovert uh, character because of his personality being so boisterous and so uh, just uh, monumentous. Uh, he's in the He's in a class by himself in that regard. And what I mean is um, he literally is the walking embodiment of the life of the party. Um, you could tell like the like just the mere fact of the uh, best man speech that he was mm -hmm. giving and him uh, having the crowd eating out of the palm of his hands and showing the self-depreciation to call himself uh, the wife mm -hmm. and that this was the first marriage and now his friend is marrying for a second time. Um, I think that in roles of of that of that magnitude, kind of like uh, killing aces, or no, excuse me, what was it? Yeah, yeah, no, killing aces, uh, in which he uh, uh, played a uh, stage performer slash magician. It's kind of like similar in that vein. Um, like you mentioned, Kate Beckinsale from uh, basically. Uh, 
the uh, uh, what is it? The Underworld uh, trilogy? Is it's, it a trilogy or even a? Four it's a part? it's a trilogy. Like there's yeah, so it's many. four. One of them didn't have her in it though. So the first three did, and then oh, they did okay. one that was just strictly on like the vampires against the the werewolves. Uh, but the first three yeah, were her. Yeah, I was gonna. Say, I think she was in, like, in flashbacks though, wasn't she? Maybe I don't know. Wasn't she? In if, the she if she wasn't, one, yeah, if she wasn't right? in them, I, re- I didn't watch them, so maybe not. Maybe, <laughs> maybe you can't base it off me. <laughs> oh man! Nonetheless, uh, she is very. She's a very interesting actress because um, whether it be um, her in an action adventure film of that magnitude, where um, she's able to go toe to toe with any male. Whether uh, or in the movie The uh, Aviator or Pearl Harbor, uh, she can lose her accent, play the uh, quote unquote damsel in distress with undertones of being a leading lady, um, which is funny because uh, in Pearl Harbor, they said that she wasn't pretty enough. Mm. Um, However, um, I don't think that's the case. I don't I don't see her as an unattractive person. Um, she's not my cup of tea, but, um, definitely can't say that she's, uh, she's not attractive. Um, uh, nonetheless, um, she in this film is the, uh, perfect compliment to, uh, Jonathan to, uh, 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 kind of, uh, give you that impression. Like she's, she's an, uh, something to aspire to if you wish to get married and have your, uh, significant other, uh, basically go to the ends of the earth for you. Uh, is willing to uh, leave uh, everything on the line, wears her heart on her sleeve. So I, I definitely uh, appreciated her uh, bringing that to this role. And then, of course, you got John Cusack. Everybody knows him of the mm-hmm. 80s fame, uh, in particular of him holding up the radio in the rain, uh, excuse me, by the uh, bedroom, uh, oh, um, yeah, by the bedroom right. house. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yes. Is that yeah, saying anything? Yeah, I think so. I think so, yeah. I'm trying to, yeah, yeah. Yeah. But nonetheless, uh, we kind of remember him in a host of films uh, dating back then. Um, one of my favorite is uh, him as an assassin going back to his high school reunion. Um, I thought that what, was kind of What's funny. that called? What's that uh, movie called? Like, That's a good one, man. I remember that. <laughs> yeah. Um, dang. Uh, was it is it hot pursuit i gotta look I'll, I'll look or is it sure thing or is it sure thing one of the two I, I can't can't remember offhand but then you know he's also in a bunch of things from 16 mm-hmm. candles um as i alluded to stand by me um uh eight men out uh man he's in so many uh so many movies oh you know what it's called because it's a, a city in michigan uh gross point blank gross point yes blank. yes yeah yeah yep. um so you know like he he is uh he's a definitely a timeless actor and he doesn't even seem to age yeah. to be honest with you i mean like he like i still see him yeah. in the same light same it, like means as far as when he did when yeah, he he's younger. like that he's like that dude that um, plays ant-man who never seems to age yeah 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 um uh tom uh excuse me yes uh, Paul uh, Paul Rudd. Rudd. Yep, he's like him. um yeah, definitely. I get that. I definitely get that. Um, but there's also a, a nice little cameo from Eugene Levy as the uh, the Bloomingsdale salesperson, and he always kills those roles where um, 
that he doesn't get a, a, a dramatic or a, a very lengthy part. But when he's in it, he steals the show with uh, his uh, uh, uncanny uh, humor. Um, you got uh, John Corbett, um, who is uh, in you were as you uh, were discussing with me in the uh, pre-production meeting uh, in uh, uh, Sex in the City, and him uh, basically playing these characters. He gets, he gets hammered. If you see him, <laughs> if you see him in a movie, and he's with somebody know that that person is not going to be with him by the end because he, he gets dragged in these joint. he gets dragged in this joint he got dragged in sex in the city by, by mr big like yeah. he gets he gets dragged in these joints man and, and like yo shout out to him because he gets a hard role even in this joint he gets he gets fried he's the fried man he gets he gets cooked in these joints yeah that's what you call him the fried man. <laughs> it's unfortunate that uh his uh his uh fictional characters don't get the love and respect that he commands mm-hmm. in the real world because he's married to uh oh, really? Bo Derek. Okay. Uh so it's a little bit yeah, so it's a little bit weird how uh um I guess it's like uh he had to pay his dues mm-hmm. to make up for life, it. You know life, what I mean? Like you can't yeah, win. life does not can't yeah, life life does not always <laughs> imitate fiction. I guess that's what that means. No, no, not at all. Not at all. And uh, one of the characters that I, I find myself uh, pulling for is uh, the the uh, character played by uh, Bridget Monaghan. I'm probably butchering her last name. Moyahan Monaghan um, Hallie, uh, in which she is the love interest of John Cusack's character, Jonathan. Um, she and she. The, the the reason why I'm I'm really I really pull for her is the fact that she engages in this joyride with him, and she is very earnest, very deliberate, very uh, practical. Uh, she is devoted to him in such a way that um, when you speak of any type of romantic uh, interest, this is the type of person you would want who uh, remains by your side regardless of what it is that you may be enduring. Uh, as evident is when she comes to him and she says, hey, you know, you've seen a little distant. Um, and he says, yeah, you know, it's just been butterflies and cold feet. And she says, well, you know, I need you here with me. It's the very least you can do. And I, I'm paraphrasing, but you get the gist, which is, you know, look, you can tell when your other half is really going through something and uh, they're keeping secrets and you know your intuition starts to kick in and against her better judgment of really pulling him aside and saying hey let's postpone the wedding she continues to go all speed ahead and she says to him hey look i even remembered the gift for the groomsmen oh yeah uh, yeah (laughs) which is yeah which is kind of ironic in the sense that you know this is the book he's been looking for and as she commented yeah i noticed you flipped through these pages uh, however, I didn't see this particular book in the library. Uh, mm-hmm. So, you know, I figured, hey, you know, thoughtful me. Here's here's the gift for you. Um, and, it had the, and it had Sarah's name in it. That was cold. And, yeah. Well, <laughs> that, was, that was a cold bit of writing right there. <laughs> yeah. I, but then they'll chalk it up as, well, hey, it wasn't us. It was serendipity. But yeah. nonetheless, uh, the, the fact that, you know, she's the one left at the altar. I'm not sure how she's she's able to bounce back and uh to the to the credit of the writers they don't bother to engage in that or explore that um to try and salvage her dignity 
Yeah, I think that's a great point. One of the things that I have to give the writer of this, and the writer is a, a gentleman named Mark Klein, uh, directed by Pat Peter Chelsom. It's a great move that they don't, number one, they don't have Sarah and Jonathan get back together until the end of the movie. Mm-hmm. And that they never show you the conversations that both Jonathan and Sarah <clears throat> had to have with the people that they're currently engaged to. Because oh, yeah. it would be almost impossible to root for them if that had been a part of what you saw on camera. You know what I mean? So it's like the fact that you never see that, it just, it, it's a its a really interesting thing. And I think that I, I'm pretty sure there had to be, you know, a couple different versions of this and thinking about yeah. like, well, what if they met here or what if they saw each mm-hmm. other there, you know, like that kind of thing. And I, I think they, it, it would have, if they had ever seen each other before they had de- dealt with their other marital situations, this would have become a drama instead of a comedy. It would have been viewed as a completely different type of situation. So I think that's, I think that's another good point. The other thing is um, I think this movie is like, it does a really subtle job of asking important questions about relationships and about mm-hmm. like, like just the way that people handle them. Um, um, yeah. And there's like these important kind of ideas that are like this idea of, you know, there's one line where, where, um, where, where Jeremy, I'm sorry, where John Cusack says to Jeremy Piven's character, it's unfair to compare loves. Right. And we're always in this thing. Where we want to compare people and put them like top five, like, you know, top five point guards in the NBA and things. And you can't do that with people that you love because, you know, how you loved somebody at 27 is different than 47. You know, not only are the people different, but you also have changed and evolved in that process. And yet we're always trying to put like this very logical kind of frame to this very emotional experience. And I remember we were talking earlier about why that doesn't work. And you shared something about just kind of the way love is impacted, impacts your thinking. So what was, what was that that you were, you were saying again about that part? Yeah, uh, in the pre-production meeting, CJ and I were uh, disclosing as far as the chemicals that are involved in uh, the the process of love. Um, I had referenced uh, not only serotonin and adrenaline um, and liking it to a form of madness because you're losing control of yourself and you're not thinking rationally, but I also uh, conveyed to CJ that um, the process of love is uh, uh, described as falling mm-hmm. in love um, because of that sense of helplessness, because of that vulnerability that one finds themselves in. Uh, in the story Serendipity, uh, you find that uh, Kate Beckinsale char- char- Kate Beckinsale's character, uh, Sarah, is uh, uh, one who heeds the, the beckoning call of uh, destiny, fate, uh, serendipity. In fact, she says that the way that she found mm-hmm. the restaurant or bar mm-hmm. or uh, little uh, enclave that they uh, frequented is because she liked the word and because she believes in that term so deeply. Um, I found it uh, very helpful that they threw little tidbits in there like that. So you would see them uh, in areas that would uh, uh, hearken to this, this narrative that uh, things were not necessarily in their control, whether it be uh, them passing each other by the bus stop when they yeah, went I like into that the yeah, uh, like Waldorf. That. Yeah. 
Yeah, or the fact that, uh, as CJ had pointed out in the pre-production meeting as well, that they both pressed the uh, 23rd uh, floor. Uh, CJ, why don't you Yeah, so the up? 23rd, so that there's significance to that. And, you know, one of the things that I've always liked about movies is, you know, when you really pay attention to a movie, you see that the director um, always has like a reason for why certain things are in it. Right. And so there's a scene early on when they're, they're playing the kind of, are we going to get together game where they're in a hotel and they both press, they're, they're going to like, basically the, the, the situation is if they can both select the same floor, then it's a sign that they should be together. And they actually both do select the same floor and the number of the floor is 23. And when you look up that number, 23 is thought of as a number um, of people that have a deep connection, um, like in the sort of new age spiritual spirituality kind of thing. It's like the idea of the twin flame connection. And so you have those kinds of concepts that are playing into this as well. And then even the book, um, even in that idea of the book, Love in the Time of Cholera is, and this is like, you know, kind of just a quick, you know, internet research stuff here is that the book itself is also about comparing um love sickness to being to having cholera and the idea that like when you have when the heart wants something it's going to want it forever until it until it can be dealt with just the same way that at one time cholera was seen as something that you could never get rid of so there's like those kind of themes that are playing out throughout the movie that are there um one of the things that i think is is also sort of talked about but not you don't really see it come to fruition is the idea of you know you having to let go of the past like the the real thing about both of these characters is that they never let go of the experience that they had 10 years ago with each other you know and you could make a case that you know growing up getting older certainly moving into being engaged to other people is about having to let go of those kinds of things but neither of them do that and i think the, the brilliance of the writing is that you you find a way to root for them against the com the common sense of your own mind in the situation because obviously I, I think most people watching this would be like well that's crazy you shouldn't do that you know if that was my brother or sister you know we would stomp you out for that and I get that <laughs> but I but I also think that when you're watching it you're on the emotional ride with both jonathan and sarah and you're like oh yeah i wish that you know these kind of crazy things could happen for me here so you know with that with that said i know that there's a lot of well there's some cake that we have here and then there's some hate maybe one of us has more cake one of us has more hate for this particular movie so um i'll, I'll go first on my on uh, what i really liked um i said at the beginning i really dig um kate beckinsale in this movie i i think like she's just really versatile she does like you could make a case that her character is kind of treacherous in certain ways, which I'll kind of talk about a little bit later, but mm. the way that I think it's played, you don't really feel that way about the character. And I think that's like just a credit to how, how it's played and how it's written. Um, I mentioned it before. I just love the dialogue and the way that, you know, the critiques of love and marriage and relationships that happen all throughout the movie, whether it's the friend talking about the new age stuff or, um, the idea of soulmates or, you know, the dissolving relationship between uh, Jeremy Piven's character and his wife, you know, like you get these kind of different impressions of different stages of the relationship. 
Um, I like that. I know we I know we both talked about this, that Sarah smile, that's the that's the jam. So shout outs to that with Hall and Oates. That uh I when I when I, I seeing it again in this movie reminded me to download it because of how much I liked it. Um I also love the uh, the logic of the comparison between the Godfather part one and Godfather part two. So when he says that mm. like the Godfather part two might be better, but you wouldn't even have Godfather part two if you didn't have Godfather part one first. So like the preeminence is to the Godfather. I just thought that was like an incredible way of not only thinking about those two movies, because there's a lot of debate about which one is better, but how it's applied to this situation where he's comparing Sarah to his current uh, fiance is just an interesting and dope thing. And um, then the last thing is like, I, I just love the writing of the obituary. I just thought the way that it was written, the language that was used in it, it was just really eloquent. And him reading it, walking through New York City on what seemed to be a spring day that somehow turns into a mini snowstorm was kind of crazy. But, you know, hey, it's New York, so I'll accept it. So uh, that's what I had on the cake side. What about you, my man? Well, um, just to piggyback or to reference some of the points you made, um, it's almost as if uh, irony is uh, personified throughout uh, the movie because of Eve, uh, played by Molly Shanahan, being a entrepreneur, business owner of a new wave restaurant. Um, and here she is uh, essentially just ridiculing uh, her patrons. I mean, uh, she chastised the one lady who wanted the Casanova candle uh, and she described it as being next to mm -hmm. the Caligula incense um, and then called her pathetic and that she hated her because she's the type of person to be waiting for some guy uh, in hopes that he's Mr. Right, whereas uh, she could be out and about doing her thing and, and mm -hmm. being with Mr. Right now. Um, so it's, it's, it's things of that ilk that... Um, definitely were eye-popping and worthy of commentary about um as far as the things that i i, I really found uh, uh uh likable in this movie was the joke about uh baby spice <laughs> yeah, versus old spice uh <laughs> yeah that that joint was really funny only only be and it works so well on so many levels because um baby spice married to david beckham being uh a, a fellow britain and then uh you know, Old Spice being uh, synonymous with old men or the old man smell um, and that Kate Beckinsdale kind of and, and, and Victoria Beckham kind of uh, uh, are very similar and look at, are, are kind of mistaken for one another. And also the fact that their names are Beck or have the, the root word rather Beck within them. Um, another thing that I liked uh, typically is the casting, uh, in particular, the the leading man and the leading lady, Kate Beckinsdale and uh, John Cusack. Um, their, their chemistry is very palpable. You could also believe that they uh, have some type of romantic uh, relationship yeah, on and off that's screen. Like, yeah, they have good not, chemistry. It's not far-fetched. On, on, on screen yeah. chemistry, it's true. Yeah, and I think that's key, especially in the uh, romance, comedy, romantic comedy uh, genres. Um, if if the two leading individuals who are going to dominate the screen time don't give you that sense like, hey, they fit or belong together, uh, it makes it very difficult to believe the movie. Um Another thing that I, I really liked is the, the the commentary about 
you know, forces beyond our control. Um, you have a lot of individuals who believe that um, they are the masters or the captains of their ship, of their fate. Um, whereas there's a lot of things that are out of our control. Um, and who knows if it's by divine presence or if it's just, you know, um, we're just happenstance or, or, or uh, just some type of convenience as to why these things occur. Um, so this really caused a, a, a debate within my household as far as like what we believe right now in 2023 slash 2024. And if uh, indeed we could uh, maybe sway the other individuals in my family to our side of thinking. So it was a lot of points that were raised all because okay, we happened cool. to watch this movie together, um, which in itself uh, was real mm -hmm. cool because, you know, we got to bond and actually like actually share, you know, uh, uh, another movie experience. Cause mm -hmm. that's dope. Are real that's big all dope, man. Um, all right. So then we got, then we got the, uh, the hate, yeah. the parts that we didn't really dig that much, man. I got, I got a couple, I know you yeah. got a lot more, so I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna belabor mine too much. Um, I, I, I would just no, say no worries, no that, um, I didn't like the store clerk. Um, I forgot who he said, Ju Eugene Levy, the Bloomingdale salesman. Yeah, I just he was so annoying to yeah. me. <laughs> he just annoyed me so I know, I know that's the point. But that's, that's what he that's point. what he does I, look, he though. He did a really man. good like... job. But the character itself, like that that annoyed me. Um I hated John going to John going to California for Sarah the night of his the night before his wedding. That just never that never made sense to me, the logistics around that. I have a I have a theory for why that's there and it's going to come up in a question i'm going to ask in a couple minutes but i never really liked that particular scene um that in the middle of the movie there's a song that they play like i think it's called when you know please stop move doing music videos in the middle of movies like it just it doesn't work out <laughs> and unless you've got like a real popular person doing it it's just it just disrupts the movie and it's like you feel like in the middle of the movie, they're like, hey, we got like three or four minutes here. Let's just jam a music video into the middle of this. And I just, I don't, I don't like that. I don't like when they did it in uh, New Year's Eve that we talked about a couple of weeks ago. And I don't like it in here yep, either. Yep. Um, and the last thing, just real quick, I, I never liked the $5 bill like thing. Because I like if you write your name and your phone number on a $5 bill, right? And you do that in New York City, it's almost a guarantee that you're gonna get seventy thousand people calling your phone number just to try to harass you. Like there's you would never write your name and phone number on something that's gonna possibly be distributed to that many. No. You'll be getting crank calls. You would have to change your number in like a month because of how many calls you were getting. It just that just never made made sense to me, um, and I'm gonna stop there with my hate because I know you got you got a big a big bowl of hate for this, this joke. So have at it, have at it, my friend. <laughs> <laughs> well, the thing is, is that some of my hate kind of coincides with CJ's. So, for example, I don't think that mm. anyone should remake a Bob Marley song. And before anyone comments, yes, I'm well aware that Lauren Hill has a couple. Um, but again, she's an honorary Marley because she's had children with one of his sons. So therefore, you know, she doesn't really count. Um, uh, I definitely don't appreciate like uh, 
uh, despise, whatever you want to term it, parents who don't discipline their children slash don't act responsible for their child's behavior. You have the scene in which the literal demon child dressed up as the devil um, is pressing all of the buttons within the elevator. Um, forget the fact that, you know, this guy is trying to uh, find his, his, his twin flame, his soulmate. Mm-hmm. They get stuck in the elevator. It delays them from getting to their destinations respectively. So that shows uh, not only irresponsible behavior on the part of the parent, but it shows a a disregard for others. Um, You know, we all have to share this world. So therefore, you know, the the, the least we can do is respect each other's uh, uh, freedom of movement. Um, But I digress. I definitely, but, but, a nice segue is I definitely am not feeling the fact that uh, uh, Hallie acknowledges that she dumped uh, Jonathan's entire wardrobe onto the bed. So it's an invasion of privacy. And she didn't even I mean, what was the point in dumping his clothes? If you're not going to pack his bag, then just leave his stuff alone and let him handle it. I mean, now it's another mess that he's got to come clean after they get back from their honeymoon uh, um, and their other engagement plans or the wedding itself. Um, I, 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 for the life of me, I can't understand this. Uh, neither of these individuals, as CJ commented, uh, are over, uh, the other person yet. Um, Jonathan literally proposes to Hallie and Sarah accepts a marriage proposal from the Kenny G parody uh, played by John Corsett. Yo, put put respect um, on Lars's starring name. Man. As put Lars. respect on Lars's I, I, name. I, for the life of <laughs> Lars is that Lars is that dude, man. <laughs> I mean, that's that, I I just even the instrument he plays, I Yo, can't even Lars, pronounce Lars it. Is that, it. Lars is that Lars is that dude. Man. Uh, it, uh, uh, the fact that she and her best friend ridicule the fact that he's playing this 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 fake flute fake oboe uh instrument uh is 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 a is a mockery in itself uh, uh i believe it's pronounced shanahani or shani uh, uh i don't know s h e h n a i so please forgive me for those who do uh practice and partake in this instrument um the other thing that i i, I don't know for the life of me i just can't understand this he eventually finds the receipt in yeah. the bag. Yeah, that right? was. Yeah. Well, why didn't he find the receipt yeah. before? That I mean, was. That he's was keeping. That never made sense I, to me. That was a good. That's a good. Forget one. the I fact. That. Yeah, but forget and 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 even in that same vein, keep forget the fact that um, they find the receipt. Who says that? You know, hey, look, we have to go into the storage facility. Well, I think I think that was like a situation it. where they said, well, you know, Eugene Levy is kind of. It's kind of hot and he's kind of interesting in this joint. So let's uh let's give him a little bit more screen time. So that so that gave them a chance to to do Dying that. I gave them a chance to give him a little bit more screen time. So that that's pretty much how I think that one went. Yeah, I get it, but I'm still dying over the fact that, you know, they go into the storage room where there's all these receipts and everything and yeah, miraculously out of all the boxes he finally it. finds it i mean like that would never happen yeah it, it it's crazy um and then i'm 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 thrust to even call out the sister you know she says hey 
you know, I, I wanted to house sit. I was going to ask you while you were drunk. Like, what? What sibling does that? Like, all right, cool. You know, your house is better than mine, yada, yada, yada. But just ask me straight up. Don't act like a leech, like a succubus. Like, you know, look, man, like, we're family. Se- seven out of ten are going to do that. The worst I can tell you is <laughs> I'll no. just tell you right now. Like, seven and, out of and, ten are going are gonna to do that, man. But go ahead. It's just cr- crazy to me, though. I mean, like. I get it. She's got a she's got a, a nice house. Like when she was like, opening the box and the the flower petals, etc. You were like, "Oh, this is this is a nice residence." Okay, cool, cool, cool. I get it. But the fact that her sister, her whole her her main concern is to house sit in order to have sex in her house, on her furniture. Yeah. Like what? What are we doing here? Like, get a life. Um. And then, uh, <laughs> even though CJ wants me to put respect on on his name, <laughs> Lars, the manager, the sister, the 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 all of all, there's just the the whole kit and caboodle. These individuals uh, appear to be gaslighting Sarah at every every turn. You know, she distinctly says, "Hey, look, I told my patients I'll be gone for two weeks." Uh, I maintain a very intricate schedule. You know, I, I'm taking pride in my budgeting uh, practice. You know, this really means something to me. Oh, no, no, no. You could take off two more weeks. That's a whole month. I don't know how many people who are in private practice yeah. can afford to take off a, an entire month uh, if their practice is just getting off the ground to, to cultivate a type of clientele, especially those who are vulnerable and they're seeking uh some type of emotional mental breakthrough uh uh of of a magnitude in which one she if we if you remember correctly she also downplays the guy says to her you know i found my soulmate and i didn't say anything and then she left forever yeah you know do you, you gotta, believe in that i know you of got a question about that but you know what she says about that oh later. no you gotta yeah it... But that's the reason why I had the question, because I'm sitting there and I'm like, Mm -hmm. wow, really? That's what we're doing? Okay. Okay. So, yeah, man, I just... I can hear it. I can hear it. I just had so much... I can hear it about what what you're saying, man. I can hear it. uh, So, yeah, so we're going to have to see how that that plays out with the popcorn at the end, man, based on everything, based on on all that hate you had for it. Um, All right. So, look, I got a couple of questions. Um, I only got three and they don't really deal too much with well one of them deals with the movie itself and the other one are kind of a little well two do one of them's a little bit bigger but i'm gonna start with what i think is the easiest one so i said before i think that the character of sarah is written and done very well because i think there's a couple things about the kind of the way both she and jonathan's characters move that could very easily make them the villains in the story right so there's something that I picked up on. I could be wrong here, but I just want to ask it a question anyway. So when Sarah decides that she's going to go to New York City, right? She tell you know she says she's going to go to New York, and when she's talking to her friend, she says, "I figured that we could go something to the effect of I figured we can go to and have like a fling in New York, right?" So the way that I was thinking about it was, I wonder, do you think her intention was to? basically go in and sleep with Jonathan like that was like she was going to go and try to find him and I'm I'm saying was that her part of her goal here and I only say that because of the word fling that she used to describe where she was doing to go 
So let me just get this straight. Are you saying that her intent was to have a booty call? Or, you know, if she I wouldn't use that word. I wouldn't use that term. (laughs) I wouldn't use that term to describe it. I'm saying I think that was she would do you think that her intention was to go and possibly sleep with Jonathan? Well, I think that goes hand in hand. I think that's a foregone conclusion. If it's, hey, I want a relationship with you, no matter how fleeting. And okay. part of that involves us being physical. So uh, yeah. if that's what you're referring to, then yeah, by all means, you know what I mean? Like that's, that's inevitable. I thought so too. I th- I thought that that was definitely a part of it. And it's, it's interesting that 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 didn't play out because I think that would have made it hard too. All right. So we're in agreement on that one. Um, all right. So here's my next question. And this one is a little bit, this is also within the context of the movie. So it's really, I think it's really important to the story that you never see either of the main characters talk to their people they're engaged to about ending the relationship. Right. Right. So you don't see Jonathan's conversation with his, with his fiance. You don't see exactly what uh, Sarah says to Lars. Um, But my question is, when do you think both Jonathan and Sarah decided that they were not going to get married in the first place? Well, see, I'll say like for Jonathan, where do you think it was for Jonathan? And then where do you think it was for Sarah? Yeah. See, my, my, I fluctuated with this because, uh, I always was under the guise that they knew, but it was a question of when did they verbalize it to the audience? So keeping that in mind, I'm going to go back to my original thought process, which is, I think they both knew from the beginning. I think it was that they didn't want to be lonely. So these, uh, uh, significant others were just stand-ins or placeholders. Um, and then when they were able to find quote unquote each other, then they would have just dropped them off. But as time passed, because you're talking about a decade, it became more difficult to do so. So yeah, I'm, I'm going with, they knew from the, from the inception. Got it. Got it. Okay. I mean, well, that, that's even more calculated. <laughs> that's even more. That that might be worse, actually. I I thought I thought Jonathan I thought Jonathan kind of made the decision, probably when he was on that flight to go to California. That's probably where he decided, you know what, um, I'm not going to do this. Even when he gets back, he's probably good. And then on Sarah, I actually thought it was based on when she uh, decided to go to New York in the first place. But I think that. you're giving them too much credit, man. Maybe, maybe. I mean, like they, I mean, like, well, I, I don't know. Man. I just think like once you, once you're, once you're aware that you're willing to blow up your entire marriage situation before you're even married, that once you get to that point, it's like, yeah, this is probably not a good idea. I'm probably not going to do this. And I feel like they both kind of hit that eject button at different times. I don't think that they, I don't, maybe they didn't know it to say it out loud, but I think that's when they kind of hit the eject button on that. All right. So here's my last one, man. And this one is a little, this is one is one for you to consider a little bit more. Um, Does our modern world with social media allow for romance to exist? 
Yeah, this is tough, man. Um, look at I look at it like this, you know, with the advent of technology making the world smaller, um, generations uh, um, of past as well as uh, up to even the present, I don't think they can appreciate not truly what it meant to be in an er in an era where literally um, you took the time to get to know someone. Now everything is so instant gratifying and, you know, instantaneous, you know, mm -hmm. you yeah. get, you got these people who literally are told that they're beautiful within like seconds of just looking or clicking on a, on a, on a profile, you mm -hmm. know what I mean? And they're bombarded with it. Um, I mean, Shoot, if somebody told me that I was the best man on the planet all the time, um, you know, I'm getting thousands of likes, it would get in my head too. You know what I mean? You couldn't tell me nothing. Um, yeah. You know, so I don't think that, you know, true intimacy can develop from that because you're disingenuous. So therefore, I don't think you can have a true relationship. I don't think you can have uh, that mystique, that mystery, those, those true things that you know, drive you to want to peel back the layers of an individual and really cultivate a relationship and, and truly get to know someone. You're, you're, I get it. You know their image or, or their representative. That happens whether it's social media or not. But eventually, yeah. when the phones are put down and the computers are turned off, you got to sit down with someone and you got to have a real conversation and you got to know how to read body language and you know the subtleties mm -hmm. and you know just basic human interaction man like i yeah. don't think that people know how to do that anymore like it's a it's a tricky thing i mean I, I think part of what romance relies on as you were saying is the idea of some sort of mystery and how do you maintain how do you how do you allow someone to unfold themselves to you if you can mm -hmm. just track down everything, who they are, where they work, their 15 friends, you know, it, it just, it, it makes it, it makes it a lot harder because if this movie existed today, they would have gotten together 15, 20, like the next day, because the one person would have looked on Facebook and you would have found them and, you know, like it would have just, it would have just been a much I don't even think they would have gotten together. I don't think they would have gotten together because they would have looked at each other's profile and be like, oh, you do this? Oh, you nasty like that? I'm swiping left. Wait, wait, wait. I thought you were supposed to be the hopeless romantic here, man. You're supposed to be the romantic. But that's my point. Think about think about the age we live in, man. Like, nobody wants to be out in these streets, you know? You don't, you don't, you don't want to live that life. You don't got the, uh -huh. you don't, you don't got the cholesterol nah, for these streets. <laughs> so it's, it's cuffing season, yo. Cats, cats they try to be about that, yo. You don't want them problems. All right, uh -huh. I got you. I got you. All right, any questions that you got around the movie? Oh, yeah, man. I got a host of questions for you, yo. So uh, let's take it from the top. Um, what is the best way to break up with someone? the best way to break up goodness gracious um i would just say that um i don't know if this is the best but i would say that you know there's always a diff there's always a, a a distance between i think when people know they want don't want to be with someone and when it actually happens and i mm -hmm. think in that i don't think anybody's like you know on three at three o'clock they're like i don't want to be in this relationship anymore and then they tell the person at 305 it usually doesn't work that right way. So right, what right. happens is like 
in between when you realize it and when you say it to the person, there can be sometimes a lot of space. And the more space mm -hmm. that you operate, the more difficult it becomes because you're then creating, you're still building. One of you is still building on the relationship while the other person is deconstructing it. So the first thing I would say is, is that when you come to that re realization, you should let the person know as soon as possible to stop it from being a drag, a drug out process. I think the second thing is that you have to be very honest and clear and direct about not wanting mm -hmm. to continue with the relationship. Um, and I think the third part is that you have to understand that um, it's going to be hard on both parties to um, like, I guess, execute the breakup. But if you're the person that initiates that, you have a greater responsibility to maintain it. So it's like, you mm. can't be like, I don't want to be with you anymore. And then call the person three days later. Like that, that's right. in relationships that that's confusing. Right. And mm -hmm. you don't want to create like a cycle where that's kind of what's happening all the time. Cause that could be confusing to both parties as well. So I would say first, like when you know, let, let the person know Two, be honest with the person about it. And then three, you have to kind of stand on what you were saying. And if you can't, then you should go back and say, Hey, you know what? I, I was messed up. <laughs> I do want to be Can I get it? Can we get a do over? Like, do this, do that. But that's that's what I would say. That's a good, that's a good it, question, man. by the way. Very good one. But that was a very mature response. Mm -hmm. um, that's because I did it wrong so many times that I <laughs> did <the laughs> Tri trial and error. Trial and error. I could appreciate that, man. It takes a it takes a big person to admit and recognize the flaws. Uh, in handling certain uh, very sensitive uh, situations. Uh, CJ had mentioned something in our pre-production meeting about uh, how individuals uh, live in real time or something to the effect of in the present and then oh, examining. Mm -hmm. Yeah, CJ, break that down for me real quick because it's a great segue to my second question. Yeah, so um, so it's it's like the idea that, you know, as people you know, and I don't remember exactly who said it, so I'm going to kind of paraphrase the statement, but it's like life is lived forward, but understood in reverse. And so it's like, mm. you know, what we do, and it's actually called, it's actually called narrative identity. And so narrative identity is this, this idea that when you look back over your life, what you do is you kind of tend to organize certain events and situations in such a way that it allows for a consistent story being told. So if you tell yourself, if you, if you believe your identity to be a person with a lot of um, grit or, um, you know, like you're, you're a person who's not easily knocked off your square, you have a lot of stick, stick to itness. It's a terrible way to describe it. But if that's like kind of how you are, when you remember your life, you'll remember your life as a series of events where you experienced challenges that you overcame. And like that will become an that will become a reflection of your resiliency, or if you're a person that um, has always believed that you were special, you will you know look back at your life and identify the moments where you felt special as a building process mm -hmm. to where you are now. So both of these things are something that like people we do because you know we're trying to make sense out of life. You know, just like in this movie, mm -hmm. there's a whole scene about the idea between like uh, a sign and uh and a clue right and like you know like both of these things are being used to try to make sense out of life and that we do this through like things like narrative identity and so on and so forth 
Uh, so with that being said, then, um, like like birds uh, traveling together and flock. What is it? Uh, birds of a feather flock together. Mm-hmm. Um, what role uh, do friends play? Is it their job to assist you in situations that could get you in trouble? Or is it their job to provide advice as to how to stay out of it? Yeah, that's a great question, too. You really, you're batting a thousand on these ones, man. Um, so I think that, I think that there's, I think that, wow, it's a good one. I think as you get older and as the challenges that people face become more complicated i think that as a friend being a good friend to someone you have to figure out how to balance being supportive while also being able to draw boundaries around what is not acceptable behavior for you and the reason why i'm saying that is because you can never really impress your standards onto someone else, right? But Mm -hmm. you can present a certain set of boundaries around that you're not going to cross. So like, you know, if you have a friend who's like, you know, I'm trying to use something that's not too often. Like, let's say you have a friend who's like, Mm -hmm. you know, they they use drugs every now and then, right? They might, whatever it is, whatever their their drug of choice is. If you're the friend who is absolutely not in favor of any drug use whatsoever, your responsibility is to communicate that boundary such that that person mm. does not engage you in that discussion or in situations where that happens. Right. But along okay. with that, I think the, I think depending on the quality of the relationship and the honesty of the relationship, that person also needs to know that if that's something that they're doing, you're choosing not to do it is not the dividing line on the, is not a referendum on the friendship. Now, it does mean that if you Mm. decide to do this, I'm not going to be with you and I'm not going to take part in that with you, but I'm not going to necessarily get rid of the relationship based on that. Now, I do think that this is this is kind of this is a little bit of a segue, but I always remember one of the um, one of the ideas in, in a philosophy class I took years ago was that basically people never do what they really think is wrong. And I always remember this would stick in my head, right? Basically, the idea mm-hmm. is that like, everyone has something that that's their that's their red line, right? And if somebody comes right. close to violating that red line, or they violate that red line, you will absolutely shut the situation down. But anything above anything else, you will tolerate to certain to a certain extent. I think that's kind of what happens with with relationships. And Everyone knows what that is. And when that line is being approached, I think as a good friend, you let the person Mm. know, hey, I think you're outside the lines here. I don't want to be a part of this. I think that's how you got to convey it to someone. And I think that you have to be honest about what are the repercussions if the person continues to do that, that thing. And that's, you know, whatever that (laughs) is. And And I know that's a good kind of connection to, you know, what happens in this movie and the way that, you know, both of the friends kind of go on this crazy journey with them. Yeah, no, definitely. Um, Which is uh, leads to my next question. Is there such a thing as fate, destiny or serendipity? Um, What do you think the ramifications are if indeed that is true? 
Yo, that's a good one. So, so we, so we kind of with this episode is called Serendipity, Fate versus Love, because mm-hmm. just just for that that reason, I I don't know, man. I mean, I know a couple episodes ago, I know well, not even a couple now. We talked um, about the movie Five Hundred Days of Summer. Yeah, we talked about yeah. the idea of you know soulmates there, and if you haven't listened to that episode, go back and and check it out uh, because it's one where we you know kind of get more into this subject. I would just say that I've never been personally a big believer in fate because mm. I think it it infringes on the idea of individual choice. Okay. And I'm a believer in the decisions that we make are what lead us to a certain kind of outcome and that right. the outcome is not determined but is the byproduct of the decisions that we've made and and so on and so forth. So mm-hmm. I'm not I'm not so much like a believer in fate in that sense. Um, do I do think there's serendipity? Absolutely. I do think there's always fortunate accidents and there's ways that things kind of work out and fall into your favor that have nothing to do with what you were kind of working out. Um, mm. And I think, you know, like that's just how it works. Like, you know, that that's, that's almost like along the lines of, you know, that expression, um, you know, when God closes a door, they, oh, he opens mm, a window. Yeah. Or yeah, they like, mention you know, that in some, this too. Yeah. Or sometimes, yeah, exactly. They do. Or sometimes, you know, um, you're not getting what you want is actually a blessing in disguise. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So it's like, that's like kind of like along the lines of serendipity. So that I'm on and I believe in fate, not so much, mm-hmm. or not at all, really. Gotcha. Um, now, with respect to Sarah and her belief in serendipity, uh, fate, and uh, destiny, do you think that she is uh, projecting, maybe being cautious? Or outright uh, just disingenuous, excuse me, disingenuous, or maybe a combination of all three. When she tells her client, uh, "Hey, you know, you got to be cognizant of using the term soulmate." Mm-hmm. Yeah, I know. Yeah, you mentioned that. You mentioned that a little earlier. I think she was actually lying to. She was lying to the dude, and she was lying to herself. I think both. Mm. I think like I think that was what she was telling herself to try to turn off, like how she was moving through life, but it's not who she really was. And that was evidenced by how fast she jumped on the whole fate destiny train, you know, right. when the time came. But, you know, they say, man, the best lies are the ones we tell ourselves, right? So I think mm. she so I think she was telling herself that. And so it made it easier for her to, for her to tell her client that too. And uh, last but not least, and a little bit of fun, um, what do you think happened to uh, Hallie and Law and your man Lars? Um, yeah, where do you see them? Yeah, yeah. Well, look, I think Lars, man. First, Lars is probably going to be all right because Lars has that flute thing. He's famous, <laughs> so he might make a he might make like a, a diss track on that about about Sarah <laughs> a diss track, <laughs> and he'll be he'll be good. He'll bounce back. Now, Hallie. Haley's going to be in bad shape for a long time because mm. I just, I can't imagine a worse way to have someone break up with you than the morning of your wedding to that person. Like that, that's got to be extremely embarrassing. It's got to be extremely hurtful. It's got to be just a gut wrenching experience. So I imagine that for a while, if Haley sees Jonathan anywhere, or him with or him with Sarah, it's on site. Like she probably for a year was keying up their car, throwing bricks through their window, everything. And then and then I'm gonna hope that she met somebody that really cared about her 
and right. loved her and honored her and that she got into a nice relationship. I think Lars is going to be a career bachelor from this. Like he's going to be, he's going to be like, <laughs> like in different area codes. He's going to be on that type of program from, from, from this for point, real. From, from this point for he learned his lesson, man. He learned his lesson after that one. But, um, so yeah, so that's the questions. Um, so we're going to, we're going about to, we're, we're on the way to wrapping this one up. We got the boxes of popcorn. Um, I'll go first on this one. So I'm giving this four boxes of popcorn. I like this movie. If you would have talked to me in 2001, I probably would have gave it five, but now a little, a little older and a little more grizzled. Uh, I'll give this four boxes of popcorn. I'm running with four and a half. And the reason that it's probably shocking to most is that, uh, this movie actually caused me to question a lot. Uh, it drew out a lot of, uh, misconceptions that I had. Um, that I probably didn't even think I had them still. Um, and what I mean by that is, um, I'm one to believe that, uh, a lot of the things that I've done in my life, um, I had more control than what I did, but in actuality, um, I think a lot of these things were lined up by the decisions of others coinciding with my own decisions. Mm -hmm. Um, and out of all of the billions of people on this planet, um, I can't say that, you know, hey, I, I interacted with these people because, you know, it was uh, it just happenstance. I think that they were placed in my life for a particular reason mm -hmm. by God. And that, um, if you will, some people call it the universe, but whatever it is, it was something out of my control. And. Um, that misnomer of fate, destiny, et cetera, et cetera, is oftentimes uh, the hidden hand of God saying, hey, this is what is best for you, either in that moment, for that season, or for a reason. So, um, yeah, I'm, I'm definitely running with four and a half. Got it. Got it. So, yeah, so it's funny, man. This is, um, <laughs> there's so many movies that I think deal with that, that concept of what you just said there. And the idea yeah. of like what is faded and what's supposed to happen certain ways. Um, yeah. Did you ever see the? Did you ever see the movie Sliding Doors? Um, I think it might have uh, been like with Gwyneth Paltrow, and basically, I could be wrong about whether or not she's in it, but it's a movie mm -hmm. where um, the movie's like it's kind of two movies in one. So one movie is like everything that happens one way, and then the other movie is everything that happens if she basically was late on this one train ride, and it's a oh yeah, yeah. it's an interesting movie yeah, about yeah, like yeah. fate and how things work differently so when you were just saying that part it made me think of that but um all right so just in terms of like just closing thoughts on this movie you know i think that there's um at the towards the end of it during the um what's it called during the the obituary there's a line that's that's said in it and it says um you know if you want to improve be content to be thought of, thought foolish and stupid and it comes from Epictetus. And I think like that's kind of what this is all about because, you know, in order for these two characters to come together, they have to be willing to be thought foolish and stupid for all the things they're doing. And I think watching it, that's what you what you think. But I think, you know, maybe there's something about that's kind of what love is, is like it can be very foolish and stupid and it doesn't always add up to something that makes sense. But what matters is, does it make sense for you? You know, and mm. I think, um, you know, in every in every relationship you get in, 
there's a thought about whether or not this is the relationship that I want to be in, whether this is giving me all that I need, whether it's not, what kind of concessions and sacrifices are you making? It's like, I think this movie is like basically saying like, yo, you owe it to yourself to get everything you want. And if getting everything that you want means that you got to burn down everything that you have to get it, so be it. If it's going to get you where you are in the end. I think that there's, there's something, there's something powerful about that idea it's also very uncomfortable when you think about the implications of that for the other person. Um, Cause if you're like, it, it's great if you're Jonathan or Sarah, but if you're, you're Lars or, or, or the, or the fiance, mm. then that doesn't feel good anymore. Right. But I think regardless, I think there's just like that, that willingness to um, pursue whatever it is you want to get it, you know, however you can get it legally, of course, but however you can get it. So that's what I think. Uh, that's what I think. The kind of the the thought is behind this one. What you got, my man? Uh, John Cusack's character tells this convoluted story about Cassiopeia Andromeda, and um, that really uh, struck an accord with me. Um, um, short story long is Cassiopeia boasted to Poseidon and the rest of the Greek gods about her and her daughter. And depending upon which version of the story you read it, so perhaps that's why it was so convoluted because Jonathan was telling a variation of the story that he heard. But nonetheless, um, she's bragging about how beautiful either she or her daughter is in comparison, contrast to the sea nymphs who were known as uh, Serides or Serides, um, probably butchering the pronunciation. Um, that angered Poseidon, so he sends the sea monster called Kytus uh, out to uh, basically destroy the kingdom. And then in order to pacify the monster, uh, Cassiopeia's daughter uh, Andromeda is uh, tied to a rock in the seas. Um, And then, of course, you have the constellations, which are uh, next to each other um, to remind us of the beautiful stars, hence the beauty that uh, these these women possess. in uh i believe it's spoken by vision he says to ultron um something isn't beautiful just because it lasts um and i think that that narrative of someone boasting in an arrogant way of uh you know what beauty is and the 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 tale that everybody knows that beauty is only skin deep and true beauty lasts over a lifetime um, is uh, another uh, theme uh, very uh, prominent throughout the movie. Um, you, love is a beautiful thing. Um, you know, you can, you can't touch it. You can't smell it. You can't taste it, but you know what it is. And uh, you can see it permeate throughout all of the characters uh, whether it be Bridget Monaghan uh, holding um, uh, Jonathan's hands in a very tender way when she says, tell me something beautiful. Um, tell me that I'm the only girl in the entire universe but made for you. Um, whether it be how uh, Sarah is very devoted to her patients and, and is trying to assist them on the road to self-discovery. Um, Lars and his music and his his career and wanting to understand well he says something to the effect of 
well, what is he feeling right here mm-hmm. in the music video? Yeah, I remember that. Um, you know, or or just the the love that the parents have as as they're proudly watching their children exchange uh, vows and go through the motions in the rehearsal dinner. Um, you get the sense that love is, no pun intended, in the air. And uh, it gives hope of a better tomorrow, of a promise of a new day. And uh, I'd like to think that all of us, um, regardless of where we are in this point in time, that there's someone out there for each of us um, and that we're able to uh, engage in the one true emotion that is uh, what I like to believe the reason why we're all here. Love of mankind, love of oneself, one of loves, one of uh, one's family, and the love that we can express with a romantic partner um, that gives us all the joy of a of a, a fruitful and better tomorrow. Good stuff, man. Good stuff. Well, so this brings um, so this brings this episode to the end, talking about serendipity. Uh, we break these these shows up into like seasons. So this right now we're in season two. Actually, this is the last episode of season two. We are going to be going on a little bit of a hiatus just to kind of think about what we want to do with season three. Uh, we will certainly be back because there's so many other movies to talk about. So um, as always, um, like, subscribe, share. There are now, once we post this, 22 episodes that will be available if you haven't listen to some you can go back to the very beginning we've covered all kinds of movies in that time and we will be back in a few weeks um, probably the beginning of february um, in 2024 we'll be starting off with season three of the sticky floors podcast sticky floors podcast is available wherever you get your podcasts on apple Podcasts and on spotify podcast please like subscribe and comment because your comments help us to do this better peace